Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you for listening. We have a live event coming up in London at the Pathology Museum on March 21st and there'll be more details of that at the end of the show. And as ever, please do rate, review, subscribe, emulsify, liquidate and passionately share the love if you enjoy the show because it does help, you know, get it up in the ratings and then other people find it and it just means I can continue making it. So thank you. This week I'm talking to comedian, writer and podcaster Deborah Francis-White. Deborah is the host of the amazing Guilty Feminist podcast and the actually diverse panel show podcast Global Pillage. She's written books, screenplays and her own series, Deborah Francis White Rolls the Dice, was on Radio 4. Deborah came in to talk to me about her dad, who died in 2003. Welcome to Grief Us. I'm here today with stand-up, writer, podcaster comedian but that is stand up that's the same thing that's why I paused <laughs> I was like, that's the same thing Deborah Francis White host of the amazing Guilty Feminist which I've talked about on the show before because we had Susan Wacoma who was one of your regular co-hosts but you're an amazing podcaster and comedian um, but that's not sadly that's not why you're here today sadly no um, it's grief cast it's grief cast I know we can't talk about well we there's some fun stuff guys um, but you've had a bit of an interesting morning and I, I want to say I feel a little bit guilty, like, I feel like you agreed to come on Griefcast and then that your morning happened. Yes, it, it's, uh, I woke up this morning expecting to come on Griefcast and the first thing that happened uh, was I checked my phone because that's how we all live now. We open our eyes, we look at our phone. Yeah. And there were messages from friends that uh, a school friend of mine called Annie had, had has just passed away and uh, we don't know why. Uh, I know that she was ill, but I thought she was fine. Uh, so we don't know why or how. But it just yeah hit me like a train in the face because she was very dynamic. She was very athletic. She was very alive. Mm. She was a surfer. She was a deep-sea diver. She was always there. When I went back to my hometown... She was always the first one with the Prosecco open or, you know, the champagne on the beachfront or organising like, oh, we've all got to get together. Or she was uh, really the life and soul of the party. Um, And she was just, she was so fun. And the last time I was there, uh, I stayed with her in her place and she was, she was a really good soul. And so uh, I know how much she'll be missed by all of her friends. Yeah. She wasn't married. She had no children. She had travelled all around the world and lived, you know, as a deep-sea diver instructor and had done all these amazing things. Then her mother was elderly um, because her parents were quite a bit older Mm. um, than uh, many of our parents. And so she'd gone home to look after her elderly mother and live nearby her elderly mother and make sure she was okay, which was, I think, a very generous... And loving act. And a lot of people don't do that. Mm. Um, But she just lived this fabulous life. Like she, I remember once we were in this amazing beachfront cafe and in this beach town where we both grew up. I basically, listeners, I'm from Australia and I basically 
grow up in Home and Away. Yeah, you say that, which makes me, it makes you seem so glamorous. Glamorous! <laughs> it does no. to someone who grew up watching Neighbours and Home and Away. I feel like, oh my God, like Home and Away. And also Home, Home and Away was way cooler, wasn't it? Like Home and Away might have like a story about like getting drunk. Whereas Neighbours, oh, yes. Neighbours was like, the dog escaped. <laughs> <laughs> my mum still watches both those programmes. Really? Yeah. I didn't she, even know Home and Away was still on. Yeah, Channel 5. And she's still, every now and again, she'd be like, oh, well, Susan Kennedy's doing this now. And I'm like, like, Susan Kennedy's still in it? I think so. I'm pretty Lord. sure. And Dr. Wow. Carl, I think they came back. I think they went and then like all good soap actors. They were like, and then they realised there was nothing for them. Yeah, they're like, I'll come world. back. This is yeah. a lovely job. What's it's wrong? It's a good gig. So you lived on Home and Away. Um, so I basically lived in a Home and Away style t- town. Oh, amazing. Um, and Annie and I were sitting in this lovely beachfront cafe looking out onto the ocean and there was a really gorgeous Brazilian surfer with sort of, you know, curly hair mm. and he came in and they were had a flirt in a way that I thought, well, you know each other really well. <laughs> and I said, you, you, you were... And she went, yep, yep. And I just thought, she just lived the life. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she, she deliberately wasn't in a long-term relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, because she was living intentionally and doing all of the wonderful things uh, that m- many of us are frightened to do. You know, mm. she lived she lived at full mast. And so in a way, I think, although sadly she has died really, really far too young, she probably lived three times as much as yeah. many who die old. So you literally woke up to text messages from mm. other school friends. Yes, and, and posts about her on Facebook. Oh, and I yeah. was confused. I was like, no, but she's better because she had been ill. And mm. uh, and I was like, no, she's better. She's better. Um, how can this be? And I still don't know what happened and we don't know. But it's tragically sad. But also I think there will be the biggest celebration of her life. Yeah. Is it hard being... And this will obviously relate to the, the other story we will get to. But is it hard being in a different country? When you do, you feel very like, like you said when we got here that you find out, you know, twelve hours after everybody. Does is there a disconnection because you're just not in the same country, or is it you're yes. used to it? No, I, no, it's more that you feel like I'd like to be there with everybody now, yeah, and yeah. I would like to. I'm going back home in March and. And it's funny, do you know what? I never call Australia home because I've been here all my grown-up life. Yeah. But if somebody dies, yeah. it becomes home. Yeah. Like you suddenly go, oh, I need to go home. Mm. So I'm going back in March, but I imagine that the funeral or celebration of her life will be before then. Um, and But I will certainly get together with my friends and we will we will have a drink yeah. for her because, yeah, she was, she was a wonderful person. So you've had this... Shock this morning, ironically, obviously, that you're coming on to talk about grief and death. As I said, I feel guilty. <laughs> like, somehow, <laughs> the gods were like, you well, this is a good day. No, you did not, you did not I provoke did, it. I did not uh, provoke but, it. Yeah. That's not the original reason that why we wanted you to come on. Obviously, we didn't know it was going to happen. So who was it we, we originally thought we were going to be just talking about today? Um, so my father died in 2003. Mm-hmm. He was relatively young. He was really fit and healthy. And he was... He wasn't a hypochondriac, but he was a sort of health hypochondriac slightly. Right, yeah. Like he was always had bran on his muesli. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. he had he was he was very concerned with his health, mm. and was always healthy and was very active. Was always out in the garden, kind mm. of couldn't keep still. You know, was a very strong swimmer. He was always an active man. 
Never smoked. I never saw him drink too much. I always saw him eat well. And I just... I just... It was such a shock. So what did he die of? What happened? So I got a phone call in the middle of the night from my sister saying Dad's had a stroke. And... I was really shocked because mm. he'd never been ill. So up until this point, he was extremely healthy, everything's fine. Yeah. I'd never known him to be ill. God. I don't remember my dad being ill. Like, yeah. I mean, he must have had the flu and things. Yeah. I guess I can sort of remember that. But he'd never had an illness. Yeah. And so it was a great shock. My sister rang me and said, it's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's had a stroke. But she said, don't come home because he's going to come home and mother will need help when he comes right, back. Right, okay. Um, so there's no point you coming while he's and in the hospital. rushing, yeah. Okay. So I thought, okay, that's what I've been asked to do. That's the right mm. thing to do. Is your sister older? Yes. Right. So do you have a slight, like, older sisters telling me, do what she says? Is that Yeah, that? I mean, I mean, I just thought, well, this is what the family have asked for. This is what yeah. the doctors have said. Okay. This is you just, you know, just do as instructed to be yeah. as helpful as possible to everyone. And then I got a call the next night from my sister again about four o'clock in the morning, saying, uh, you need to come back. Mm. And she said, I asked the doctor and the doctor said to me, if he was my father, I'd want to be there. Wow. Yeah. So initially, did they think, oh, he's had a stroke, he's going he's gonna to be a long, slow recovery, but yes. he's fine. And then just suddenly in the hospital, took a turn for the worse. Yes, yes. They just suddenly said, no, he's not going to make it. Oh, my God. So again, you're at this point in London. Yes, I'm this in London, yeah. yeah. And I've lived, I've lived in London all my grown-up life. Mm. So that I, I, you know, this is sort of where my life is. Yeah. So I thought, right, I've got to, I've, I've got to get back. So I rang the hospital and my dad's name is Laurie and a man when I asked to be put through to this ward, picked up the phone and said, hello, it's hello, it's Laurie here, in an Australian accent. And I was really confused. Yeah. I was like, this is my dad. But it was, an, it, was, it was a nurse, a male nurse. Also called Laurie. Also called Laurie. It's quite an unusual name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, he said, I, I said, look, I'm, I'm coming back and I just wanted to know the situation. I just want to talk to somebody. And he went, oh, yeah, you won't make it. I was like, what? And he said, yeah, well, I mean, he's not got more than 24 hours. It's going to take you more than that to get here, isn't it? Thanks, and I was like, And I was like, what? well, you know, you don't know that. And he said, look, you know, I've been in this business a long time. You're not going to make it. <laughs> and I so, was like, like, why is he being so, so depressing? Yeah. And so, and like, so negative. But it wasn't even like, I'm really sorry. I just don't yeah. want to give you false hope. Yeah, there was no you know, softening at all. Please come because I know that your yeah. family will want you here and... You know, do your you best. Ne- Whoever, who yeah, knows what will happen? Exactly. Just sort of, you know, pre- I just need to prepare you. Yeah, you know, yeah. it wasn't that. It was just so matter of fact. It was like, oh well, no, you're not going to make it. But you know, that's that's, uh, you know, he, he he it was basically like, you know, it'll take you 27 hours to get here. He's got 24 maths. <laughs> Nothing I can do. It's just pure maths, lady. Laurie is, and this to me, this sounds like somebody from a 1980s film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's slightly like, and now Bill Murray has to get there. Exactly. Like, Dude, what it like, yeah, what a bizarre way to exactly. talk to him. Exactly. Oh, it was awful. Perhaps he thought he was being helpful. Perhaps he was like, don't get the hopes up. He he misthought. Yes, he definitely you're did You're listening, yeah. Laurie, a nurse <laughs> uh, from Australia, then please uh, tune in. It's not, not cool. So you're in London. You've mm. been told this. Are you then immediately just trying to book flights, get yes, sorted? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Tom, my husband, he got online and 
got me, I mean, we had hardly any money then. So, you know, he just sort of got me the cheapest flight that he could. Mm. And uh, I got on the plane on my own. Yeah. Tom couldn't come with me. And like now I think he would. Yeah. But then it was just, I mean. I think you just, you just, you're brain is just like I need to be here that's the only decision that yes, can get made absolutely and everything and then I've done that before and then you think oh I could maybe I should have gone but you're like no you must get there there's everybody focus on that yes and I think I think when I think you know we have a you know we have a little bit more savings and cash now but yeah. then it was like sort of trying to you know scrape up the FA for one yeah, person you know yeah. sort of thing so um I got on this flight my friends I remember my friends coming together that morning for breakfast and coming around to sort of see me and I was sobbing and I remember saying to everyone, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they were like, don't be ridiculous. But yeah. I was just like, you know, really, really sort of slightly falling apart. And I got on the plane and I sat down. I was in the middle seat. Oh, and that's the worst. That's already was, the worst. There was this sort of man spreader on one side. Oh. And on the other side, there was a woman who was slightly kind of, you know, and I just said to her, I just thought, I'm just going to prepare. Yeah. And I just turned to her and I just said, um, look, I, I just, I'm just telling you this because I, you know, I, I, I might start weeping. <laughs> I, yeah. I said, I, I might be crying a lot on this flight and I, I just, I just need to let you know that because um, my father's dying and I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So yeah, Kyle, I'm really sorry. I don't want to be yeah. inexplicably weeping. And she just went, she turned away and no! she didn't say a single word. You're joking. She didn't say, I'm sorry about that. I'll never forget it. I was just, or, okay, you know, understood or anything. I am so angry that I wasn't that woman and I couldn't have been on that seat and gone, like, or just somebody nice. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Do you want to swap seats? And is there anything I can do? Like, mm. you just, just some, need just some, some element of niceness. Sympathetic response. It was awful. What? Why was she so cross with you? Like, what did she think? Oh, now I have to sit next to a crying woman. Like, I guess so. I guess so. Like, doesn't affect your flight. Put your headphones on, watch a film. Like, I know, I know. It was just, it was such an extraordinary response. I mean, we talk about this a lot on the show. Like, people react so weirdly to death. Like, it makes people. Yeah, I get. You just don't know what to say. Yeah, sometimes they they don't know what to say, or you know, they just act. But just so strange. I'm sorry. Just yeah, say I'm sorry for your loss and put your headphones in. You know, sort of thing. Like, oh, that's awful. Yeah. Oh, I'm. So sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that. Absolutely fine. You know. That yeah, you weren't asking for like. No, no. Can we I be BFFs? It was like, honestly just an in, information because yeah, yeah. if I was sitting at someone who was weeping uncontrollably, I'd just sort of be like, "What's going on?" Yeah. So if you if you're informed, you think, "Okay, well that's understandable." Yeah. Um. Anyway, I hadn't slept at this point because I hadn't really slept the night before yeah, when I found out yeah. about the stroke, and I hadn't slept at all really that night. I think I'd been woken up at I don't know maybe it was, it was two or something. Mm. So I hadn't slept all of that night. So I hadn't slept for forty eight hours, oh, and I wasn't going to sleep for another twenty four on this flight. Yeah. And I thought, you know, at, at about the 72-hour mark, you start to go a bit mad. Yeah. And so, and also I was in deep, deep grief. And I just couldn't, I couldn't sleep and I felt like I was going a bit mad. Mm. And I the whole time, every single hour that went by, I was like, is he dead now? Is he, is he dead now? Is he, I can't is he imagine having now? to is do that now? on a plane. And it was, it was, um, my phone didn't work on the plane. Yeah, of course, yeah. And the first leg is like, I don't know what it was, 17 hours or 12 hours or something. It was a long leg so there was no way of knowing minute to minute was he still with us and as the unhelpful nurse lorry had told me that mm. he wouldn't be I kept thinking he's probably dead now or is he still alive no he's probably waiting for me they've told him and my mother had said we've told him you're coming we've told him you're coming yeah. he'll wait like he couldn't speak at this point but 
they could they they said the hearing is the last thing to go, mm. and so he knew I was coming. So I thought maybe he'll wait, maybe he'll wait. But the whole time it was like torture. Yeah. And at one point I just went, if I don't sleep soon, I'm going to really lose it, and yeah. I'm on this flight. So I just went to the flight attendant and I said, look. And I'd seen when I came in, the business class was basically empty. So I said, is there any chance I could just lie down for an hour? Because I think if I get an hour's sleep, I'm going to be all right. Yeah. Um, and they said, no, I'm afraid you can't. Da, da, da. And I said, look, I don't want any business class service. I don't want anything like that. I'll pay to do it. Mm. I just I just need to lie down for an hour. I've just, I've hit a wall and I can't sleep. And I'm crying the whole time. And they could see, like, I wasn't trying it on. Yeah. Like, I looked really, really distressed. And I'd obviously been crying for hours. And they were just did that thing of, um, you know, that voice of, and we're incredibly happy to tell you that that's not possible. <laughs> oh, my God. And I was so, just like, what so am I still, going to they do? they said no? No. And then oh God, this about, is the worst plane ever. about six hours later, I thought I really felt like I was yeah. losing it. And I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So, because that's so like to not know to consistently not, to consistently not know and I is, to- is so complete long. torture because all you want to do is n- know you yeah. want some. Oh, I can't, it's like your life is on pause for 17 hours and then another, you know, another 12, maybe. whatever. Yeah, like, and I thought, well, when I arrive in Singapore, I can, I can at least phone and yeah. find out at that halfway point, but I was still there and it was, it was hours and hours and I was so like, I was delirious, yeah, of course. And I went into the loo. And so this is this is 2003, so it's two years after 9-11. Yeah. Everything, the security is so high. Everyone's yeah, still course. on extremely high alert about mm. planes. There's, a, there's anxiety that everyone had about planes at that point. Mm. It's hard to really remember that now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I went into the loo and they had drawers of supplies. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. Those, those sort of drawers of toothbrushes and stuff. And there was a whole drawer of razors, like shaving razors. And... I just looked at that and thought, like, anybody could pull these razors yeah, out, yeah. <laughs> tape them together and make a kind of box cutter. Yeah. So I just thought, I knew I was going to lose it. I yeah. was so close to delirium, but I wasn't quite there. So I thought, I'm going to, you know, if you act crazy before you are crazy, you're in control of it. <laughs> yes. So I just came out and I thought, I have to lie down or I'm going to go insane. And then we're really in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So I came out and I said really loudly, to this flight attendant down why are there all these razors in here this is so dangerous there could be a terrorist attack someone could use these for a terrorist attack and the thing is in 2003 if you shouted terrorist attack on a plane you would be upgraded into business class in 45 (laughs) seconds which you were oh yeah they they took me they immediately took me to business class and they let me sleep for the rest of the flight oh my god yeah so i basically shouted (laughs) terrorist attack I, I want to say, listeners, it might not work now. Don't no, just walk down the plane going, terrorist attack, terrorist attack. Oh, it's such a poor strategy. Yeah, and, now. Um, but I remember as oh I was just God falling, as, as I was going off to sleep, <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, I know what Hamlet's about now. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. That Hamlet is about the madness of grief, mm. that you do go a bit insane. You oh, do yeah, see things, yeah. you... You you can't control your emotions. Sometimes you you do a controlled push mm. for fear of of actually going insane. And I really got it. Yeah. It's sleep deprivation. It's deep grief. It's it's seeing things not slightly not as they are, but also seeing them exactly as they are. It's like you said, like 
that is a, a mad inverted commas thing to do. But what you did see was I completely am aware of myself and I know what I need. Yes. And I have to sleep, otherwise I'm going to start yes. clawing at this point. Like it's a very you're very clear sighted about emotions, I think, but maybe not clear sighted about like social conventions. Yes. Because <laughs> all that just goes out the window. Like I don't care if I'm naked and and weeping I don't care but what I know exactly what I need is what, I need exactly. to do this almost like a baby yeah yeah it mm. is it's very similar you just go completely primal I guess I think especially if it's a parent dying yeah you you, yeah. you, go, you slightly regress um, god what a flight that is well then I got to Singapore <laughs> yeah. and they said to me the staff were then really nice to me and they yeah. said we've arranged for someone to meet you on the ground to oh, make sure that take you somewhere to take you somewhere to sleep before you get on the next flight because I had quite a long layover yeah, right, I think it was yeah. like four or five hours yeah. something like that so I thought oh that's great so they came and got me in this little car oh, like a little beep beep yeah, beep yeah. you know it's a golf cart so they whizzed through the airport yeah. and suddenly I was like I was such an out of body experience I was like I had no intention of going to Australia I had no intention yeah. of being outside London I had you know plans for the week and yeah. suddenly I'm in a a little golf cart speeding through <laughs> Singapore airport beep beep get out of the way beep beep oh my god like, just like, what am I doing? Where am I? Yeah. Why am I here? When you've travelled too fast, I think your brain struggles. When it's like, like you said, one minute you're in London, one minute you're in Singapore. Your your brain is behind your body. Yeah, with like, no preparation. I'm like, yeah. why am I in Singapore? And then they took me. I thought, great, they're going to take me somewhere I can lie down. And they took me <laughs> to this uh, special office. And inside there were all these tiny chairs and tables for children. Right. And it was the children, un- unaccompanied minor place. <laughs> And so I was taken, oh and there God. were coloring books, yeah, yeah, and wow. pen pens, and I was like, "Is there anywhere I can lie down?" They were like, "No, you just have to wait here for five hours." And I was like, "I felt like Alice in Wonderland yeah, because yeah. my it, as part of this out of body experience, my body was so much bigger." Than the tables, but also like you said, you've completely regressed to a child to the point they took you to the children's room. Yes, and you're trying to get back to your father. I mean, yes. it's like modern day fairy tale happening. That's ridiculous. Yes, and I was sitting there, and I they said, "Oh well, like we'll see if we can find something." And so I was just sitting there on my own, oh, just my sort God. of absent-mindedly drawing <laughs> at this tiny, Sat tiny, on the tiny chair, as yeah. a Wonderland table, like a child. Oh my God! And I remember thinking, "Who will I do it for now?" And that's the biggest shock to me. That was the biggest shock to me about the death of my father. He didn't really understand what I did because what I do is so odd and it was far away and I was doing lots of comedy improv then and I... You know, I was just about to get a TV pilot. Still no one understands comedy. But nobody really knows what that is. And, you know, I was cobbling this weird career together and he was... he, He loved to perform, so he was very proud of that. But... There were other things mixed in a sort of religion we joined when I was a teenager. And yes. There was other, it was complicated. And so it was a great shock to me that when he died or was dying, I had this overwhelming feeling of who who do I do it for now? Mm. I thought I didn't know I was doing it for him. I'd, I'd, been, I'd rebelled in a way because I'd, I'd left. I'd left the religion. I'd left the country. Mm. I was out there doing everything for myself, I thought. Yeah. And now I have this desperate need to be as successful as I'm going to be mm. before my mother dies because I feel like any success I have yeah. after she dies won't count yeah. if she can't see it. And I realised, sitting there drawing on this tiny table... Every single thing I've done in my whole life has basically been a drawing that I've taken up to my parents and gone, do you like this? Is it good? Yeah. Everything I've ever done has been that. 
as much as that on a conscious level isn't true and on a more sophisticated level isn't true, somewhere deep inside of me, yeah, everything is for their approval. Not in a dysfunctional way. Yeah, yeah. Not, in a, not in a way that I, I need therapy, just in a way that I think human beings are programmed to please their parents. Mm. So eventually they said, right, well, you, you can go to this hotel. You can go and check into this hotel. Um, that's the only place you can sleep. So I went and checked into this hotel, ho- <laughs> yeah. airport hotel. Guys, you know what? Months. The tiny chair room is not appropriate. I'm it's go- not. I'm happy to go to a hotel. <laughs> it's it's not. I, she so doesn't the, want to sleep in the tiny chair room. What's her problem? <laughs> what's so weird? What's wrong with them? I remember going and buying paper knickers because uh, in Asia yeah. they can they sell you paper knickers because yeah. I, I hadn't packed like Anything, I, enough yeah. um, ha- cabin luggage. I hadn't sort of pictured this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and going and sleeping in the in a in a hotel for two hours and that was the greatest sleep I've oh, ever had. Yeah. Like it was blissful. It was because a complete I like properly, blackout. Just yeah. I properly slept, and they told me that they would upgrade me on the second flight. Oh God, yeah. But when I got on the flight, they were like, "Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. That's that's." that's. Oh no! So they give and they take this. They give and they take, and so then they. But they gave me a whole. This this flight wasn't very full, so they gave me a whole row to myself. Okay, fine. So I could lie just, down. Yeah, yeah. And I watched Moulin Rouge, which <laughs> was, was then, I think, an old film. But um, I remember the first time I'd watched it at the cinema, thinking that Ewan McGregor yeah. was overacting when <laughs> Nicole Kidman died. Yeah, yeah. Because the sort of sobs were like yeah. the sobs of Racking bodies a frightened it. child. Mm. Um, but I realised... Oh no, that's what it is. Yeah. I apologise, Ewan McGregor, if you're listening. <laughs> your thought. acting was incredibly authentic. <laughs> I just hadn't lost anybody. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think we, we talk about that so much on the show. Like, there's so much stuff, you know, like someone was saying on Twitter the other day of like um, the before death slash after death moment, that moment when you understand what all these references are. Like mm. you said, like Hamlet or films, and, you know, you might see someone crying and be like, oh, I, God, I really cry. Like, and then when it's happening to you, just suddenly everything makes sense. It totally overtakes you. I, yeah, it's hard to understand why you and McGregor is sobbing like that. If you haven't, like you said, felt deep grief, which is yes. different to, it's different to sadness. I think you think, oh, yes, I will be sad when someone dies. No. And it's diff- it's, it's different. Completely, it's a different feeling. It's yeah. different. And it for me, it was quite akin to madness. It yeah. was that Hamlet-y, just the world looked different. Yeah. And I wasn't sure of my place in it anymore. Uh, and when I landed in Brisbane, I got into a cab and it was a two-hour drive. Oh, my God. And there was the basically the first cab driver who was meant to take me said to the cab driver behind, oh, do you want this one? Because the next lady had a baby or something and he mm. had a car seat. or It was something like yeah. that, some tiny thing. And then when he found out where I was going, realised how large the fare would be, tried to get me back. Oh, my God. And my taxi driver said, no, 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 you've given it to me. No, mate, you've given it to me. You can't do that. No no backsies. And these two cab drivers had this argument. Oh, my God. They were like, well, mate, she really was my fare and I didn't know where she was going. Well, yeah, but you gave it to me. Yeah, but that's I was trying to be considerate to this lady. And now you're going to get that, you know, it's going to be hundreds of dollars to there. Yeah, I know, but, you know, you've given it to me. So you're you like, can't really go. Dad is. And I was like, I'm sorry, guys but my father is dying I just need to get there now oh my god and so I got into the taxi driver's car the one not the one that tried to get me back right yeah 
and he started going. Uh, um, I mean, that's not on, is it? That, I mean, you've, if you've given if you've given the fur to someone else, and I said, look, I'm really sorry, but my he father tried is to like get yeah. some back up to his bad day. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, he was like, oh you know, just yes, because it's a big fair, doesn't mean he can have it. You know, like he's given it to me. And I just said, look, I'm really sorry, but my father's dying, so I can't talk about this. Yeah, yeah for, fu- for fuck's sake, and, shut up. And then he pa- then he paused and we drove in silence for a bit and he went, I'm just saying, <laughs> it's a bit much, isn't it? And I said, and he said, you know, yeah, it's a big fair, but, you know. And I said, dude, I, I said, look, read the room. I said, both of you are capitalising on my grief right now. Yeah. I said, the only reason this big fair exists is my father, my father yes. is dying. So just um, let it go. You've got the fair. And I rang oh my, my sister God. and said, I'm on my way. And I couldn't ask her. I oh. couldn't get it out of my mouth. Jeez. Is he, is he still alive? Yeah, of course. So I just sort of waited. And she said, he's, he's, still, he's still with us. Oh, my goodness. So I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Anyway, I got there and I walked into the hospital and I looked a mess. Mm. Like I hadn't brushed my hair in 24 hours I just I just you know my Fair makeup enough. was you'd worn have, off you'd I had a hard hard a couple of days but I normally before you see your family if you're yeah. getting off a, a long haul you know you you sort of freshen up a bit and yeah. you just or anybody if you're seeing anybody at the end of a long haul you just sort of you know do a do a bit of a yeah do a bit of maintenance I walked into the hospital my mother saw me having not expected to see me suddenly yeah, you know we're all a bit yeah. blindsided by everything um, she knew I was coming but that sort of yeah, oh yeah. god you're here now sort of thing and I walked in and she looked at me and she went you've changed your hair <laughs> which is a line from Out of Africa when um, uh, which is a movie we both love when um, Karen Blixen rides across uh, the desert oh, yeah, to get yeah. to uh, to get to Dennis oh no to get to her husband um, and or maybe both of them and she I think she's taking them supplies and because there's an emergency of some sort and she's fought a lion and she's <laughs> she's had a a run in with all she's had so many run ins on the yeah. way and she just looks an absolute sight and uh i think her husband looks up and goes hmm, you've changed your hair <laughs> and so my mother my mother said that to me and it's sort of like there's there's so many funny yeah brilliant moments that are just uniquely comedic oh, to God. Uh, when I told my mother and sister about the beep 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 yeah. car in Singapore and the little the little tables <laughs> and me shouting terrorist yeah. on, on a plane, yeah. they laughed or they cried. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, they were just like they could not believe it. They were like, "That is so, you know, typically you, yeah, you know, that yeah. you that, that you've had this sort of manic journey to get here." Um, and I saw him, and he was still alive. He was his eyes weren't open. But they said he could hear, and my mum said, we'll leave you with him so that you can spend some time with him. And I told him, you know, what a wonderful dad he'd been to me and thanked him for everything. And I'm an adopted child, so mm. it, it, there is some time... I mean, if, adop, if an adoption has been successful, as mine was, I don't want to generalise. In my case, yeah. in my case, uh, I felt... I think there's an extra feeling of gratitude that you have mm. to your parents. And my parents are 100% my parents. Like, I don't feel like, oh, I'm the adopted one. My sister and brother are biological and my, I'm the adoptee. Um, so I don't feel any different. But there is, I think, just an extra surge of gratitude that you sometimes get as a grown-up when you realise. Yeah, yeah, that he made that choice to help a child and changed your life. Like, of course. Yes. And I mean, I was 100% his, but I think there is a... There's just a moment where you just go, oh, it could have been different. Yeah. And so I was, 
I sort of whispered all these things to him, but it was like I couldn't get full voice, like mm. I could only whisper. And I've always worried that I didn't speak loudly enough. And he was lying there thinking, could you speak up? <laughs> what are you saying? What? Is, what? what? Did she say? But he couldn't about, tell me. Thank you. <laughs> but he couldn't tell me, you know. And I, but I, I, I hope that he heard. I hope that he did. He certainly would have, he knew I was there. I know yeah, that he knew yeah. I was there and I was holding his hand. And that's what matters. That's and, the thing. And that night they said, you know, he's, you know, he's he's kind of not going to make it. And I remember they basically, he wasn't, he, you know, he was breathing really badly. Mm. And I remember my mother saying, you can go, you can go, you know, it's okay. You can go, you can leave us. Yeah, It's all right, darling, you can go. And we were all there. And um, and I felt him like move, like he couldn't move. He had a stroke, but mm. he just kind of moved. He jolted, like he could sort of like he was mm. communicating with us, like he was. It was like a last ditch effort to say, yeah. "I hear you." Yeah. And the nurse said she'd go and get some morphine for him, and she went off. But I don't think he wanted that because he went. He went before. Oh wow! Yeah, he went before she came back. So you were all there: your mum, your brother, and your sister. So you yeah. and you made it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Made it. We were all there. And that night we went back home to my brother's house because he was the one that lived nearby where this had happened. And um we went and sat on the floor of his kitchen floor. It's a weird thing how much I sat on the floor. So many people talk about this need to sit on the floor. It's the weirdest yeah, thing. Yeah, like it's like connecting back to earth, grounding, because I think you're trying to ground yourself, literally it, ground yourself. It must be that, because in the hospital, after I said goodbye and after he died, I, I went into the hospital corridor and I sat on the floor in the corner and just sobbed like Ewan McGregor mm. in Moulin Rouge. Just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed, like full body heaving yeah. deep sobs. And then when we went back to my brother's house, again, weirdly, we just sat on the floor. But he has chairs. He has a, he has a really nice <laughs> and I was, living room. He has a kitchen table. And I was remembering that I remember when my dad was having chemo, I used to come home and just sit on the floor of the kitchen and watch the washing machine. And wow. that was like my comfort. It was like, oh, yeah, great washing machines on. And I just sit on the floor. And also, when you, I think, when you're having those racking sobs, you just end up on the floor. Like I never ended up on the bed. I would just find myself going, "Oh, I'm on the floor." I think it's just like, I mean, so, so when the world is so literal, like you literally can't stand up. Mm. The pain is so heavy, you have to be on the floor. That's what it feels like. Like it's... your body can't cope, hasn't got the strength to be like, "Oh, I can walk around with my legs." Because your legs are like, no. Yeah, I'm they're just not having it. Work. But yeah. they sink where they are, I think. Yeah, And maybe yeah. That, that trying to find the roots, maybe, as you said. Um, but my brother brought this, brought out this schnapps. Um, and he had, I don't know where he got it from, but he had lots of different flavours of schnapps <laughs> that either someone had given him or he'd bought on a trip yeah, or something. Yeah. And uh, again, none of us were prepared for this. So it's not like he had a couple yeah, of nice bottles of wine in. Yeah. So he got these schnapps out of the cupboard. And it was like caramel schnapps, or vanilla schnapps, probably <laughs> ghastly, really. But um, it it's it was sort of quite comforting, I think, because it was a sweet, childish yeah. drink, yeah. but it was alcoholic. It's slightly naughty, isn't it? Yes, like the, the naughty sweet drink that you're not Sh- supposed to have. Exactly, sugary drink, but probably reminding us of those sort of tastes of childhood. Yeah. And my mother went to bed, and then my sister and brother and I sat on the floor and drank the schnapps. And my, I think, because we joined a quite extreme religion when we were teenagers we never 
had too much to drink together before, yeah. ever. I've never drunk too much with my brother or sister. And we just drank so much naps and we <laughs> laughed and we cried and we looked at old photos oh. and we told stories about dad all night. Like just, it was amazing. I'll never forget that night, how much we exchanged and how much how much warmth there was between us and how much it brought us together. Mm. Um, and we all live in different places and, you know, how the years go by and, you know, you don't stay in touch as much as you should and yeah. you don't see each other as much as you should. And that night we were just so bonded. It was like we were children again, and except funny. very drunk children. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we used to love Jerry Lewis movies, uh, my brother and sister and I, and we used to sit, they used to come on in the afternoon, yeah. like these old rerun black and white movies. And we just, if there was a Jerry Lewis movie on, we'd all be like, oh, it's brilliant. You know, we'd go and sit and we just used to laugh and laugh and laugh. Um, and now I might think they were very silly, I don't know. But at the time, it was just sort of like this thing that we did as kids. And it reminded me of that. And the stories that we remembered that we'd forgotten, but that suddenly came back to us. Yeah. We don't have the kind of relationship with our parents that I would say to my mother, oh, I got really smashed or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. We just, we just, we wouldn't really ever talk about that. Um uh, partly this the way we were raised and partly religion, partly, you know, all sorts of things. Um, but we just wouldn't. We're just not that kind of family that anyone would admit that they'd had too much to drink if they yeah. had. And when I was talking to my mother recently, I told her this story because uh, we were talking, I was saying how much, I was telling her how much I dread her going. Mm. And uh, I said, I just, you know, you know, one day you'll die and ruin my life. <laughs> and uh, and I really do dread my mother going because we're really close. And, oh, God, I can't really think about it. It's awful. And um, I told her this story about that night after she'd gone to bed and how we'd sat on the floor and, and drank. And she was sort of, I was saying, you know, like, you know, like how we'll come together. And then she just said... Um, she just said, make sure there's plenty of schnapps. <laughs> and it just, oh, I can't even think about it without crying because it's just, it was like a really generous thing mm. to say that she understood that we we would need to be together and we would need comfort and we would yeah. need to, we'd need a drink. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that, I think you've entered that world, which I think a lot of people have if you've lost one parent of that horrific, like now you know. And I have the same thing about my mum. It's like, I, I like me and my brother, can't even discuss I find it very difficult to even discuss even though I'm I'm somebody who's like you should talk about death and it's I think it's amazing that you can have those conversations with her because it is so hard once you know yes and it's I don't know she's given me instructions on a piece of paper about what the music that she wants that she wants a very small you know if we Mm. if we are going to have she doesn't want a big funeral or anything like that but if we she understands that for us you might need it that we will need to process it like we did when my dad died we had a ceremony and just for sort of close family. And I think before she'd always said, oh, I don't want anything. And now she realises, no, you need closure. It's not yeah. for me, it's for you. But she's chosen music that she wants and, you know, she knows exactly how she wants it. And she's wrote it down and left me instructions. Um, Which is so great. Like, oh, so great. It's just, I'm always saying on the podcast, like, if you can have those conversations, do. Because you w- you will want to honour them. You'll want to do what they want. And I've been in so many situations where everyone's standing around going, I don't know. I don't know what they wanted. I don't know what they planned. I don't know. And and then often, you know, maybe somebody wasn't very religious and suddenly a religious ceremony is getting planned or the other way, they, you know, some family are saying they don't want it. So if you just write it down, <laughs> tell your children or tell, you know, people who are going to hopefully still be there when you're not. I think that's incredible that she's been able to do that and, you know, a testament to your relationship with her. Yeah, I think uh, 
I think it's important. I mean, sometimes I go, okay, we've talked about it enough now. Can we not <laughs> yeah. have any more morbid chat? Yeah. Um, but I do sometimes think about my own funeral because yeah, of yeah, my dad. Of I, if I'm feeling really morbid and sorry for myself, I wonder who would who would turn up for my funeral, <laughs> and I decide no one will come. <laughs> like oh you know, God, well, you know, if you're having will. a birthday party and you think, oh, everyone's yeah, going to flake at the last minute, yeah. and I'm going to be on my own, no and there's going to be four people, it's going to be awful, and then everyone does come, and then you yeah. think it was ridiculous. I feel like that about my funeral sometimes, and it depends how how happy I'm feeling, yeah, how yeah. many people come in my imagination, <laughs> <laughs> how nice you want to be to yourself. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Our friend Sarah Bonetto, yes. who's a comedian, Brilliant, did a show Bonetto. called uh, Sarah Bonetto's Funeral. Yeah. In which she imagines it, and that came out of her her mother saying that her talking about music. She's so into indie music, and her saying to her mother, "Well, uh, you know, I'd want this music played at my funeral." So her mother said, "Oh no, no, no! I'll, I'll have I'll have the Rose uh, by Bette Midler," and she was like, "What? No, no! <laughs> no. I'm into all this indie music. She doesn't want like this uncool funeral." <laughs> and um, I love you, Bette Midler, if you're listening. Oh, you can be at my funeral. Yeah. But Sarah's like really into you know yeah. indie bands that I've never even heard of. And uh, her mother said, well, you won't be there. Like, you can't, this is for me and you can't, you know. And it was like, this, she was winding her up, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was like, I have some hymns. And she was <laughs> like, what, what? And so that's when she started thinking about her own funeral. Yeah. And I think it is a a genuine, it's a bit like planning your wedding. Yeah. Except you're, I sort of, I'm slightly tempted. If I get very elderly and sick, I'm quite tempted to have my funeral while I'm still alive. <laughs> And say, look, I'm going to go in the next two years, guys. Let's yeah. all be real. I'd like to be there. I'd like to see what you say. I think that's the point of, you know, birthday parties once they get past a certain age, isn't it? Everyone's sort of like, let's all go there because this could be the... This could be the last one. Yeah, if you get super... I think a funeral when you're there would be great because I remember my dad's funeral, the biggest thing where everybody said all day was like, oh, it's such a shame he would have loved it. It's such a shame he's not here. And he would have seen those people and he would have loved the music. Like, it was a constant... Mm. You're at the... You know, you're at a party designed to please someone who's not there. And we were all, we did a very good job, I think, of honouring what he would have wanted. But there was a definite, like, you know, we're playing music only. He liked that obscure track of Frank Zappa. <laughs> like, the rest uh, of the room is like, whew, this, is this? So this is hard work. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's important. It, no, com- no, completely, to, to sort of understand that. But I do, I do think you can't imagine losing a parent until you've lost a parent. Yeah, you and just then can't. Many people have two parents who raised them. Yeah. Not all, um, but many people have two parents who raised them. And if you have two parents who raised you, you then start looking at the other one going, don't die, don't die, don't die. And, and, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like to lose a child Mm. or a sibling who's your own age who you think, you know, and at some point that's going to happen. Like, you know, that I'm going to lose a sibling or even like today my woke up to the news that my really lovely school friend died. And I'm like, God, that is, uh, as I said, she lived probably three lives in one anyway. Uh, and But it does make you think about your own mortality. Because then also when your parent dies, you think, well, I'm next. Yeah. yeah and of when your grandparents die, it, it, and some people are very close to their grandparents, and, and I don't mm. want to minimise that. Some people feel stronger about their grandparents dying, their parents dying. But but when your grandparents die, there's a generation between them and you. Yeah, I definitely when my grandparents, it felt very far away, like some very old person had died, you know. And my dad was 44 when he died. And I, but because I was so young, I remember thinking he was really old. I remember as a kid, everyone saying, "Oh, he was so young, he was so young." And I remember thinking, he wasn't that. He was pretty old, guys, because he was my dad. Yes. So I was like, I mean, he wasn't 
pretty old man because that's just what you, you think, think all grown-ups are so old don't you but yeah it does it does bring up I know you had a very religious upbringing you know for that point in your time when your family were involved with religion how do you feel about afterlife stuff I know you're not obviously in that religion anymore but is there some part of you that's like scared you're gonna go through the door and they're like sorry Deborah turns out it, oh uh I well funny enough I had a weird no I totally don't believe in the afterlife yeah. at all but I had a funny experience the day after he died mm, yeah. we went into town and it was weird being outside yeah, like I, yeah. I went into a I huddle. I stayed with my family for six weeks, I think, and we we just went into a total huddle. Of course, I found yeah. it very difficult to adjust to life back on the outside, almost mm. like I was just like really blindsided by it. But the next day we went into town, I guess, to do some things for funeral prep or something like that. It was for some reason we were out. I don't know. I lost track of time. It could be the day after. It could be yeah. the day after. I don't actually know. But I remember being out in town, and my sister had gone to do something for a funeral arrangement I was sitting in a cafe outside a cafe in the Australian sunshine waiting for her to come back and there was a man a very fundamentalist angry Christian preaching so you know how sometimes you'll see people at speaker's corner oh, or yeah, yeah, out in front no, of tube stations with a megaphone yeah, yeah. shouting hellfire Yeah, and he was just standing there shouting hellfire and basically saying if you do not turn to the Lord, you will die. You will be tortured for eternity in the flames of hell. Those who do not accept Jesus Christ, their Lord and Saviour, into their heart today may find themselves in pain for eternity, separated from the Lord. Uh, and I, w- I was just like, I just couldn't handle it. Yeah. So I went up to him and I just said, excuse me, sir, um, my father's just died and I really can't, ha- I can't handle these things that you're saying, mm. it's it just sounds very, it sounds very aggressive. Is is could you go and do so that somewhere else, please? Very nicely, I said it. Yeah. But I was very clear, but I was very, 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 very nice. And he just turned and looked at me, glared at me, and then kept going. Oh my God! Your Lord and Savior died for you, suffered for you on the cross. He died. He died on the cross and suffered for you. Dude, and what do you bit, do? Do you even appreciate it? No, you don't. <laughs> um, and. I was just so horrified. He didn't even acknowledge me. Yeah. And so I then got angry and I said, um, do you think that's what Jesus would do? If someone came to Jesus and said their father had just died, is there any scripture in the Bible where a woman comes to Jesus and says, my father has just died and he it totally ignores her and starts <laughs> shouting about hellfire. And the Lord did ha- say unto her, you too will die in a fiery yeah, hell. Is yeah. that? Do, do you remember that anywhere in the Bible? Because I don't. I remember Jesus putting his hands on, on people, Turning coming with them, coming, coming back with them and resurrecting people. Yeah, yeah. I remember him being very kind to people and very kind to women especially. Yeah. <laughs> I Jesus shamed him. He stopped. Oh, amazing. He turned around. He looked ashamed. And then he got his stuff and he left. He didn't, still didn't say anything to me, but he left. He looked very ashamed. I Jesus shamed a man. That's amazing. And he walked away. And I was like, yeah, you better go. <laughs> you better go. You better go. And you talk to Jesus and, and you Jesus, tell him you're sorry. Me and Jesus are mad with you. Jesus and I are not happy with this behavior. You're using his name for, for to, to, to discourage. And yeah. you're using his name to scare people. And you're not using his name for the right reasons. Um, now, I personally am... am an unbeliever now. Yeah. I'm an atheist. 
But I do know the Bible very well because I spend yeah, a lot yeah. of years on my knees and not in a good way. <laughs> and so I can use the Bible yeah. to my to if if I need to, I will use it. It's as like a, a hidden superpower you have. I, I can. I think yeah. that's good because I I am a classic brought up in Church of England but don't know a lot but know a bit, you know a bit of Bible stuff so if I wouldn't be able to say that to him I wouldn't have the confidence that I'd just be like oh I think you're being a bit much but I love that because you're you've got that like super and he probably didn't expect it he was probably like oh some heathen is approaching me you're like oh no no I know my scripture like yeah. I love it when people know and can be like oh that's not true it's so great that's not the case yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he yeah he was he was he wasn't I can't understand how you could have so little empathy for somebody yeah. who really... I did kindly approach him because I thought, well, he doesn't know. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. always awful to stand in the street and shout that people are going to burn <laughs> yeah. in a fiery pit. I mean, I guess but that's it. He was already in a bit of a strange place. <laughs> he felt like true. that was a good way to spread his message. It's true. He perhaps wasn't feeling like the most rational. So you stayed in Australia for about six weeks. When you came back to London, did you have that slight... Um, well, no one here knows kind of where I've been and what I've been doing. Did it take you a while to sort of get back? Or was coming back to London quite nice because you, you know, your dad wasn't in London. So I suppose you're not bombarded with memories in that way. Uh, I, no, I remember it being very disconcerting. And I remember I came back and it was autumn here. And I remember the leaves falling off the trees. Uh, and that yeah. really upset me because I thought those leaves were here when he was alive and now they're dead. Yeah. And when things like that would pass, I'd be like... And now that's a piece of him gone. Mm. He had never seen those leaves, but somehow they were alive and he was alive and they were dead and he was dead. We uh, talk about a lot of like you have to go through all the seasons and apparently mm. that's a way that your brain processes. Oh, they didn't see the autumn leaves. They didn't see the, the winter. They didn't see the spring if you live here. Um, and that somehow your brain is seeing nature live and die. Mm. And that's very slowly getting into your head of going, they're gone. Because I, it's such a hard thing, especially when it's such a quick, unexpected death like that. Yes, it was real. It was a real shock. And I remember going to the doctor because I couldn't get over it, and I felt I couldn't get because if you're freelance, you have to be motivated to work. Yeah, you you <laughs> you can't. You have to be make things and yeah. call people and put shows on and yeah, get you, on. And when you're grieving, you're like you just want to get into a duvet and live there forever. Exactly. And I think had I had an office job, oh, that yeah. would have been hard. But at least it would have been a routine. Mm. The job would have done me, and I couldn't motivate myself to do my job so I went to the doctor and I said to her um I need Prozac because I can't get over the death of my mm. father and she said well you're grieving you shouldn't you shouldn't have Prozac she said you you need to feel the pain yeah and I said but I can't work and she said well yes but that's why Victorians wore black for a year yeah. she said it was a sign to other people don't expect me to participate mm. and I said, well, rich Victorians did that. Poor Victorians got back up the <laughs> chimney or down the mine. And yeah. I'm afraid. I said, I'm not in a position to sit around in a black dress weeping for a yeah. year. And my father would have hated that. If I, if he, he would have been like, oh, you've got to get on. You've got to do the next thing. And, you know, and I said, I remember saying, I don't want to disappoint him by mm. kind of dropping out of my own career and going under for a year. And so then she gave me Prozac. And I don't think it really worked because I only took it for six weeks and it's not meant to kick kick in for six weeks, yeah. but it was a placebo. Yeah, just taking something. I just felt like I was doing something yeah. and then I kind of got back out there again. But I remember being, I had some really close friends at the time and they clearly just didn't know what to say mm. and they didn't contact me while I was in Australia. Ugh. And I basically sent messages back through my husband saying, I'm really sad I haven't heard from them. But then it, I'd sort of get a random text and loads of other friends who weren't as close were sending flowers and they were yeah. sending long, poignant emails. 
And the thing is, no one in London knew my father. Yeah, he'd never been over here. So that was really difficult for me. But my friends in Australia who did know him were Jehovah's Witnesses. They didn't really want to see me or talk to me because oh, I wasn't a Jehovah's Witness. Wow, yeah. I remember calling some really close friends who had been close friends years ago who had this connection with my dad. So mm. I just I needed people who were plugged into my dad. Yeah, yeah. And I rang them. And I'd been very, very kind to these people. Like I'd, I had looked after them when things weren't good for them. Mm. I remember calling and this uh, friend of mine, they were a couple, husband and wife couple, and I remember the wife picking up the phone and saying, I'm me saying it's Deborah. And she said, oh, are you reinstated? Reinstated means if you've been disfellowshipped yeah. formally, you get, uh, which means excommunicated. Everyone sh- has to shun you and no one can speak to you. And if you sit at the back of the Kingdom Hall for two years, usually not speaking to anybody, and the elders think you're living a godly life again, they will reinstate you and that means you can talk to people again. So the first thing she said to me, she, she knew my father had died at the first. Oh she said, God. you reinstated? I said, I was never disfellowshipped. Yeah. I said, I said, who told you that? And she went, oh, it was just what, you know, just what I heard. And I said, well, I think, you know, don't listen to gossip. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, and she went, oh, yeah. And then they talked to me about my dad, but they would they used it to try and get me to come back. They were like, oh, your God. dad's going to be resurrected into the paradise. Oh, no. And you need to be there to see him. <laughs> oh, God, that's the that's so... The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that um, most of us have an earthly hope, not a heavenly hope, and that means that God will bring about a paradise earth. So we will be as we are, not sort of floating around in heaven with a harp. We will be as we are with this body, right. with this self, mm. living in a garden paradise on the earth. So we'll be restored to like the Garden of Eden. And so there's always this hope of the resurrection that your loved ones will come back and you'll you'll live with them forever, which I mean sounds absurd, but yeah. I believed it when I was young and I was quite brainwashed to believe it. Yeah. Um, and so when they were saying this to me that your dad will come back and you won't be there, oh, and he'll really... he'll come back and you yeah. he'll look for you and you won't be there because you won't you don't believe it. Um, so you'll die at Armageddon and your dad will look for you and he'll have to live without you forever. Basically, is the narrative. And I said to them, well, say hi for me. Yeah. Send him my love. Exactly. Because I was just like, I what? can't come back to this. So yeah. if, there's, if, this is, if, if this is miraculously true, what you're saying, if you're the only ones that have it right, then send him my love. But I'm not going to be there. I know. Oh, but that must but be also, so hard to hear that when you're, you're in so much pain. Well, also resurrected people are thought to be asexual. And not oh, right. they don't reproduce okay. and they don't have sex. They don't have sexual desires. Right, okay. That's handy, so, isn't it? <laughs> so if you are resurrected, it's because death till death do us part. Mm. So say uh, your partner dies, your wife, your wife or husband dies, you can marry someone else because when they're resurrected, you'll still know them and love them, but they won't have any sexual desire anymore. Right, okay. I mean, that's a weird yeah. black mirror, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So that's an incredibly biblical episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah. So it was always said that they would be sexless, and I always thought, that's not the same person then, really, is it? Yeah, Because exactly. they're going to be odd, and not that I knew much about my father's sexuality <laughs> or sex life or yeah. anything, but it's still a bit odd. Like There's if my, a lot of questions, basically. I've got there's, a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions, hence why you are not part of that anymore which is obviously as you said if that's your boat that's fine but to hear that when you're grieving must have been because I found stuff that anyone said oh you know he's watching over you or this you know you're you're blessed and you know just very light 
Church of England mm. stuff, I would want to punch them because I was like, oh, really? You know, and there's a thing, especially when you're a teenager, you're like, I don't want him watching over me. Like, a large part of my teenage life is very private to me. And when he was alive, I was trying to hide it. Hide it. So, <laughs> so in a idea, very real way. Yeah, it's a very him real way. Him having full access to my. He's <laughs> like, your worst fucking nightmare as a teenager. <laughs> like, he can see me at all times. He Shit. knows when you are sleeping. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's terrible. I mean, I do think. It's just language, isn't it? It's the, the fallibility of language and especially some sometimes some religious languages really... Obviously, if you believe it, that's incredibly comforting. If you were an absolute believer and they said to you, he's coming back, he's not dead, you'd feel great. But, you know, if yes. you didn't, that well, suddenly yes. becomes like... And he, he, he was thought in the Jehovah's Witnesses to be dead and not be able to see me, but, but he will come back is always yeah. the idea. One of my friends who was a Jehovah's Witness who woke up and came out of it had to accept that he would not see his father again, having always been told he would because his father died when he was a child. So he had this revelation as he woke up and realised that everything he thought was true wasn't true, that he wasn't going to live in a paradise earth, that he didn't need to be knocking on doors the whole time, that he had this massive paradigm shift. He suddenly had this realisation, I'll never see my father again, and had to re-grieve in his 20s. It makes me feel sick. <laughs> for something that he, <laughs> someone had lost as a child. you know. Because, and, yeah, yeah, to spend your life trying to come to as I have, to trying to come to terms with, okay, someone's dead, that's it, they're gone. And what gone really means, what forever really means. To If I had been led this belief that he was coming back, ugh, yeah. I mean, obviously, if it works for you and that's what you believe, I'm, that's absolutely sure. fine Sure, I don't want you. to take anyone else's but, yeah, my, comfort system my away. My experience of that would be, I would find that very difficult, yeah. So, so you came back and obviously, you know, life goes on as it does. And so it was 2003... My maths is so bad. So how many years are you now? Uh, so that must be 15 years 15 this year. 15 years, wow, yeah. yeah. And it it's always happens in Edinburgh, the anniversary. Oh, yeah. Because to comedians, Edinburgh is a month, not a place. Yes. It's August. <laughs> I, yeah. I actually know somebody, apparently, I think they'd lost their passport, so they were kind of in a slightly hysterical space, and they had to go and get an emergency passport. And uh, the person asked for their birth date behind the counter, and he said the 8th of Edinburgh. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and they were like, what? And he was like, you're the 8th of Edinburgh. And they were like, what? what? It's not Edinburgh as a city. It was like, August, August. Yeah. Um, I very much understand. Yeah. Also having a birthday in Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah the Edinburgh birthday. So my father's uh, died in August. So it's, and I wasn't doing Edinburgh that year, yeah. thank God, because otherwise I would have had to leave Edinburgh Ugh. and that would have been the most yeah, extraordinary, stressful. weird experience to go from one place to another. Yeah. And how do you find it when you're in Edinburgh? Do you sort of because obviously when you're doing a show in Edinburgh as we've talked about is a very strange experience anyway. Do you is it hard doing the show that day or does it you just kind of get on with it? I always try and ring my mother on the day. Mm. But one year I forgot and yeah. I didn't realise till the next day because Edinburgh, all the days blend into each you, other. And you often don't even know what the day you is. You don't know what the yeah. day of the week is. Yeah. Like you have no idea if it's a Monday or a, or, a, or it could be a Thursday yeah. or anything. And I was so devastated that I forgot because I felt like he wouldn't have. And yeah. I was just like, that was very painful that I went, I forgot my own father's, the anniversary of my father's death. But yeah, normally it's a bit of a sad day yeah. at the fringe. But you're human, like, especially after 50. I mean, I'm coming up to 20, like anniversaries I think it's hard to adjust because at the beginning anniversaries are so important or you might you know like yes. there's no way you would have forgotten that day five years three years and it you know 
life life goes fills on. in around at the gap. But I think my dad would almost be pleased about that, that I'd sort of got on, get on, you know, like yeah. he'd always have this thing of like, don't look back, you know, just get on, just move on and don't feel sadness, just move on. And, you know, he suppressed a lot. So yeah. I think he would very much like the fact that, <laughs> oh, she's, you know, she's doing this and that, but that's good. And, you know, she's, I really do think the kind of person that he was, he would be so much happier that I was out doing things, yeah. that I was sitting around sort of weeping in a black gown, sort of thinking about him. and But I think about him a lot. Yeah, I'm I was going to say. A surprising amount. How is it now after 15 years? It's still still very present in your world. So present. Mm. But I think about him in such a sort of... It just comes in pulses, mm. like in waves. There was a while after he died, in the second six months, where I suppressed it for a while... And I used to think, oh, God, I don't feel this pain anymore. And I felt so guilty. Mm. But it was just my body suppressing it. And it yeah. would come back in a huge wave. And I'd think I'd feel so grateful when I felt it again. Yeah. Think, oh, God, I'm, I'm not a monster. I think um, your body just protects you a lot of the time. Your body's like, you are not able to deal with it right now. Mm. So it's going to go away. But it was just numb. Yeah. Just be numb. Even if I consciously thought about it, I'd feel yeah. numb. I just didn't feel anything. And I thought, I'm a monster. I'm a terrible person. So when this wave of grief would come back, I'd be so relieved. Mm. And now I don't get waves of grief so much as I get like just little moments where I'll think of him for some reason or he'll just come to me for some reason or I'll dream about him mm. like he's back or I'll see a man in a crowd that looks like him. Yeah. And I'll just think, I often say out loud, I say daddy out loud, just like to myself. I do mm. mutter out loud a bit. But I never, when we were little, we called him daddy. And then my sister, who was four years older, all her friends called their dad's dad. So one day she said to me, I think we should try call, calling dad dad. I think it's kind of cooler. And... <laughs> Um, presented this to him and he was like sure you can call me dad and then yeah. she said so we'll have a competition first to call him daddy loses sort of thing and oh, then it was right, sort of yeah. like because she wanted to get this cool, cool yeah cool, cool up the family guys cool, cool vibe going on <laughs> yeah so we called him dad for you know most of my childhood but now like when he died mm. I called him daddy and now I often think of him as daddy yeah. and that's I mean, none, no one else in my family knows that I think they might think that was a bit weird. But <laughs> that's nice. It's, that's it's that real like you said, that child complete child impulse, isn't it's it? It's regressive, yeah, yeah. It's really regressive. But it's just I feel for him so much and I, I think of him so much and I think so much of how much he would have enjoyed his retirement and mm. how much he would enjoy some of the things that had happened to me. Yeah. But my mother always says, Oh, he'd be so proud of you and the things you're doing. Because yeah. he he would connected with it. He always really wanted to be a performer and was in, you know, many ways found outlets for that. Mm. And, yeah, I miss him a lot. But it's a sort of pleasant missing in a way yeah. because I get this joyful feeling from him. It's a joy and a sadness in one. Yeah, it's very mixed, isn't it? I know, especially with that weird thing about performing. I mean, I'm sure it's the same for other jobs, but because you can't, when you were at that point when he died, who who knew what was going to happen? Do you know what I mean? Because mm. you're, if you're trying to be a performer, who fucking knows how it's going to work out for mm. you? So I have the same thing when stuff happens that if I'd gone back and said then it would have seemed ludicrous, like I'm right. going to do this, my whole family would have laughed. Because <laughs> no, you've done lots of telly and shows with people he would have known, yeah, presumably. I think things like QI and... Yeah, and well, it's more, do you know, it's funny, like... Have I got news? I and... did, um, I guess, in Who's Lines Anyway yeah. in Edinburgh. And me and my brother used to watch it as kids. My dad loved it as well. And when I told my brother that, that was the one thing my brother went, God, dad would have loved that. Like, and that really, yeah, some certain things, I think, I think like he would have been very excited by QI, but certain things like that's a show he thought was funny, we watched, and he would have been so like, wow, like, Mm. and you, like you said, I know he 
he would have been very, very proud, but it doesn't. It, so you're, you have that complete mix of I'm privileged enough to know that my dad would have been proud I had that relationship but I'm also really sad that he doesn't know <laughs> you know and there's yeah. some people who can't say that they can't say I know my dad would have been proud for these things because they didn't know them or they didn't have the relationship so I feel lucky in one way that I know he would have been proud but yeah I fucking wish I could tell him some well, stuff I think if you you've had, you have a child as well and yeah. that's I just mm. don't know how you deal with that because you look at that's he lives on in your child yeah, in the that, genes that he brings does. up a lot of new stuff you just think <laughs> i want he, my child to ha- have a relationship with yeah. her grandfather and I, he would have loved her and all yeah. of that that breaks my heart when that's happened to my friends i'm like yeah. if i had had a child which i haven't all the time i would think i would be saying to the child oh your yeah. grandfather would have loved you yeah that's you know? that's definitely brings up new pain i didn't didn't know as mm. in like I think when you're grieving as an adult without children you know you kind of you get used to the, the waves and the pain it's all sort of okay I've done this before I sort of know this but yeah ch- having a child brings up a whole new room of grief that you didn't know was there you're like oh wow there's an extension <laughs> how, how lovely <laughs> oh we've knocked through to the loft yes what's what's <laughs> up here yeah and I definitely I find that very it's funny because I obviously I talk about him a lot and it's fine but when I have to say he would have been a really great grandpa I, mm. yeah I want to start I find that really tough to sort of open even open that door because mm. it's just he's not coming back he's yeah. not going to so it's almost like a pain I find yeah and it's different for different people I think my brother doesn't feel like that so much we've talked about that but you obviously you can't help but go oh what if what, what if what if but then I, I don't know if I'd be in the place I am now no you can so, never tell sliding doors yeah exactly exactly you may never have done some of the things you've done. Yeah, I don't and, think I know. would have. I think it, the death of my dad at that point in my life made a lot of um, personality choices and decisions and, you know... For what, for Maybe good. you've been braver in your career. Maybe you never would yeah. have done Whose Line Is It Anyway or Q.I. Yeah, I think so. Because think, you'd, yeah. you've, you've just thought, right, I'm going to live... Yeah. I live as if I'm going to die. Yeah. I, I often look at old photos. I was very lucky to be asked to debate at the Oxford Union the other night. Oh, and wow. It was really exciting because yeah. I, I went to Oxford and I never thought I'd be one of the people that would yeah, get invited yeah. back to do the kind of posh debate. So I was, <laughs> I was just looking at the photos and looking at the photos of people from generations gone by who were dead, who were there, who were so young and vibrant. Mm. And it was their turn and they were king of the Oxford Union or they were absolutely at the beating heart of everything and they were learning things and laughing and having sex and drinking and you know running around having the time and they're gone and they've been gone for years and everyone who can remember them is gone Mm. and I often have this thought that of all the people who've ever lived and all the people who are going to live, it's my turn now. Mm. I'm having a turn. Yeah. I'm having a great turn. I'm having a <laughs> long turn. And you know, when I look back and like, I read Dorothy Parker or yeah. you know, people who had these vibrant communities and were out there doing it and were living with bravery and heart, I think they never thought their turn would come to an end their turn was all there was yeah their turn was it their turn was life and they're gone and everyone who knew them is gone mm. and and that will be the case someday and and i will be a memory of someone who's a memory of someone who's a memory of someone i don't know what memories will be like then because there'll be video there'll be there'll be endless photos oh yeah i mean facebook will outlive us all obviously <laughs> Um, I'll curate that before I die because I don't want certain pictures <laughs> up. But, uh, you know, it, it. 
I just, every day I go, it's my turn. It's of all the times in history. Like if, if every time in history was going on in parallel somehow, mm. this is my capsule, this is my window. I think that's one of the great, one of the great things about being a part of this club, as we talk about in the show, like it's a terrible club to join, but like, you know... <laughs> Like a Boots Advantage card. It sometimes there's good things about it. Like, don't all dismiss it straight away. And it does give you this understanding of what you're talking about. Like, you die. You're not always here forever. No. And, and I think it's really hard to get your head around that And sometimes. those who love you will have to get on. Yeah, and they will, and they will live, and they will have good times. It doesn't they mean, will have good times yeah. without you. It's horrifying. Yeah, it doesn't I don't mean they didn't to, love though, you, but they will. I do want to. The generous side of my nature wants them yeah. to. And the other side of me goes... I have to imagine the first time Tom laughs after I die. Yeah. And, and he will. Want, you want some grieving. You want like a good six months of not, you know. I think, yeah. I'd, I'd like a chunk of people being sad. I also want my husband to get married again, though, because I don't think uh, he would do, or have a relationship, he doesn't have to get married, but have well, a relationship. relax, because statistically men do. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I sometimes choose people for him. I do go, oh, do like, if I die, she'd be good for you. Um <laughs> You know, or if anything happens, if I if I leave you for John Hamm uh, <laughs> slash die, if either of if those, if you have to rescue John Hamm from a situation where he's dying, or any of those scenarios, yeah. if I marry John Hamm and then fall under a ton of bricks, whatever, yeah. you will need to be with someone else. Look, John Hamm's involved, is what we're saying. He's going to be involved somehow. When John Hamm speaks at my funeral, <laughs> the eulogy that he gives, which I imagine I've written <gasps> it for be him, so good. He'd deliver it really well. I think he would, even though he'd never met me. I will, I will yeah. write it for him, and I he will deliver like it as if he loves he me. He will deliver it really well. But I feel like when he does the song and dance routine, we'll all think a bit much Ham. <laughs> We'll all be like, oh, he's not called Ham for nothing. Bit much, exactly. I mean, we'll... If you're an actor and your name's Ham, it, it, I know. You know, he's he's done well. It's like being Doctor Quack. <laughs> he's sad, and he's also so not a Ham actor either. Like, yeah. he's such a subtle actor. Oh well, apart from in when it's the past of Mad Men. The past in Mad Men. Yeah, when it's the past of Mad Men, John Ham goes Ham. What are you going to say? I'm going to say something. That when what Mad do you mean Men the past? is past, that's not him. That's a child actor. No, when he does to do like before he got like slick, and he does like when he was when like, he was Dick Whitman. Uh, yeah, and all he does is raise his eyebrows. I'm just going to put that out there, Deborah. Uh, John, if you're listening, <laughs> I think the whole thing is a consummate performance. I, and I gen- no, just occasionally when he's Dick Ca- Whitman, he if does you exactly the same. If and I and so her house, blank her dead, just like cut her, cut her. But I do me, feel bad because I know how much you, you love John Hamm. You should feel bad. You should feel bad. I just want you to realize He might listen to this. He loves podcasts. I think he's brilliant. I'm just saying there's a couple of scenes where all he did was raise his eyebrows. I don't believe that. I felt every piece okay. of your pain when you were Dick Whitman and when you yeah. were Don Draper. Okay. <laughs> On that note, Deborah, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me about your experiences of grief. It has been really cathartic Good. and it's been actually lovely to spend some time talking about my dad yeah, and my wonderful family and what happened. And also, I would like to dedicate my part of this episode to Annie, my school friend, yeah. uh, who lived as if she was going to die and will be greatly missed. To Annie. You can follow Deborah on Twitter at Deborah FW and you can download and listen to The Guilty Feminist and Global Pillage from your normal local podcast supermarket. Griefcast Live is on March the 21st at the Pathology Museum in St Bart's Hospital. For more details, please see Eventbrite or our Twitter at The Griefcast. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram or email us thegriefcast at gmail.com because you are not alone. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble and the show was produced by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.